Welcome to this week's Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Joining me on the podcast, as usual, is Eric Scopel. Eric, how's it going, man? You ready for some football? I can't believe how close we are. I am so excited, and we got a nice glimpse of some actual football stuff over the weekend, and we're going to talk about that today. But yeah, I can't, I can't wait for Friday, which is when Oregon hosts its media day, and we kind of start getting rolling here for Oregon football. Yeah, before we dive into uh, today's show, uh, and, and boy, we got a good one for you. I want to remind Duck fans that you can subscribe to DuckTerritory.com for as low as $1 for your first 30 days on the site as a VIP member. Uh, or if you're already signed up and want to save some serious coin, or maybe you're new and you just want to jump right in for a year subscription, save a lot of money instead of paying month to month, you can choose to do that as well. And you can pay for as low as $6.26 per month. For your first year via our uh, new prices for our annual membership. So highly encourage you guys to do that. On today's show, we're going to go into uh, very heavy on Oregon football recruiting. Uh, the Ducks held Saturday Night Live, as Eric mentioned, uh, this past weekend. And it's uh, a football camp for high school prospects. And now some junior college prospects showed up as well. Uh, and it was so big that it was considered the deepest and uh, most talent-rich football camp of its kind across the country this month in July. Uh, so much so that our director of recruiting, Steve Wiltfong, uh, from National 247, uh, he came out and helped our coverage, which was awesome to have Steve out, out here in Eugene for a couple of days. Uh, he got some stuff that was really good with Mario Cristobal, and then on top of that, he helped uh, with our coverage throughout the, the event. Uh, there were some five stars. A commitment happened during, during the event. A few scholarship offers were handed out. Uh, all in all, it was a really – Good weekend, a, a weekend that generated a lot of positive feedback for the Ducks. Uh, Eric, I guess overall, what was your biggest takeaway uh, from Saturday Night Live? I think that was, and I've, now I've only been to two of these events now. I, I was there for the the first one they did a couple years ago. I missed last year's event, um, but to me, that was so much more impressive in terms of the caliber of athlete there than they had a couple of years ago. And you can probably speak more to last year, but I just thought top to bottom, like each position group had like two to four guys that you could see being difference makers at the next level. Um, you know, there just wasn't a group where you were like, oh, they don't have anyone good in that position. group. And you watch the running backs, like I think all five running backs that were there are guys that Oregon would, would probably love to take at this point. And, and we'll probably get to one of them in a minute who, who kind of blew up an in-state kid um, up from Ed Jefferson. But I just thought just you watched each position group, and I was watching defense primarily, but you just watched each group, and it was like, Oh, there's a guy, there's a dude, there's a dude, there's a dude, there's a dude. And it was just each group had uh, pockets of them. And to have that high caliber of guys on campus just across the board, I think shows the kind of depth and kind of the uh, the wealth of talent Oregon is, is again, trying to accumulate here. And um, I think one other takeaway maybe is that it's a little bit surprising there wasn't a verbal commitment from this camp already. You know, you mentioned yeah. there was a verbal commitment that didn't take place at the camp. That happened, I think, about what, 20 minutes before the camp started or right about when the camp was beginning. Um, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, a little surprised maybe there wasn't a little bit more uh, follow-up in terms of commitments because in the past couple of years we have gotten some of those. But overall, I, again, this was – and you can you can speak more to the 2018 camp because I wasn't there for that one. But I thought this camp was absolutely loaded top to bottom, position to position. Quarterback was probably the only one where there wasn't multiple guys that really stood out. But Jay Butterfield, the Oregon commitment, was outstanding. And I know we'll talk about that as well. Yeah, I – I would have to agree. I, I've been to two as well. Uh, I missed last year's because I was on vacation. Um, but no, wait, wait I, I, I was there last year. You, you I, went last year's. You missed yeah. the year before. I missed, yeah, I missed year, year one. Um, not quite sure where I was for year one, but year, year two, 
Uh, it, it had a lot of talent. Um, there were more fans at that one uh, mm-hmm. than this past weekend. Um, but this wasn't something that is designed as like a spring game to get fans out to come watch football. This was Oregon, get as many elite prospects as you can. And there's only so much promotion that the school can do um, of of this camp. And uh, so the, the fan attendance wasn't as high. Yeah, um, it wasn't. But there was still probably 1,500, 2,000 fans there at uh, maybe – 2000 is probably a little generous, but yeah, I I, I don't think it's quite that much, but you, you maybe you're closer than I thought it was like about five or six hundred. Hundred, maybe it's closer to a thousand. I, it, it wasn't. It certainly wasn't what it was a couple of years ago when right. I went the first time. But the the overall talent, you are 100 percent right. I mean, there there were five stars uh, on on offense that were there. Uh, there were a couple of guys that um, were high caliber. Uh, Four-star prospects. The number one offensive guard from 2021 was there. Um, a top 10 offensive tackle from 2021 was there. Uh, there, there were more than uh, a handful of top 100 prospects across the board uh, at this camp. And so while the defensive line, I think, was maybe the weakest position group um, at the camp, uh, everywhere else you had at least a couple of guys that you could say he could come to Oregon and he could be a guy that could start either as a redshirt freshman or as a true sophomore uh, down the line just because he's that talented, and it wouldn't even be that big of a su- surprise if he showed up day one and, and, and was a regular contributor. And I think that's a, a, a real tip of the hat to Mario Cristobal and his staff of being able to, to, to convince a lot of guys from all over the country to, to come out here because – they're at a disadvantage like a, like a Texas or a Florida State or an Ohio State uh, or an Alabama because there isn't just within a 200-mile radius, there, there isn't 300 prospects that are Power 5 players. Like that's just not possible uh, when you're out at Oregon. So you have to convince guys to come. And you know, there was a lot of guys from Washington. There was a lot of guys from Oregon, but – they had a guy from Mississippi, from Mississippi. They had a couple guys from Alaska. They had a guy, a couple guys from Utah. They had players from Texas, Arizona. Um, where else did they have? New Mexico, Maryland, uh, Maryland uh, Washington D.C., New York. Um, you, know, you look up the list that was here, uh, Massachusetts, and there were guys from all over the country. And I think that's what kind of goes in line of how much talent there was. But that just tells you. Oregon's brand on the recruiting trail probably is as strong as it's been in a long time because they're they're attracting a really good players and b players from all over the country to come here. Yeah, absolutely, and and it was interestingly enough some of the local guys were the guys that stood out the most, and you know I know Oregon extended. I think that's two- really surprising. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think the, the big takeaway, and you asked me this earlier, I think one of the things that really stood out was the fact that Demir Collins, and, and we'll jump into this right now, was to me probably one of the most notable names of the camp, and I didn't really know much about him coming in, to be honest with you. He's up, uh, up a running back up from Jefferson High School up in the Portland area. Uh, he is highly regarded, and uh, I think he's the second highest rated all-purpose back in the 2021 class coming in. So it's not like he's somebody who was completely off the radar, but he came in, was arguably the best running back in a group that has two Oregon commits, Trey Benson and Seven McGee were there. And then Evan Pryor, who I believe is a top 60 recruit in 2021, like one of the top guys nationally. And I thought, at least in some of the drills we watched, Demir Collins was maybe the most notable guy. He ends up getting a scholarship offer 
um, hours afterwards from Oregon. So clearly turned some heads. But I came away from that being like, could, maybe this is a bit of a jump here, but it, could he be the best high school running back Oregon has had since Thomas Tyner? I, mean, I don't know if that's that much of a jump, but this is somebody who could be a top, you know, he could be a four-star recruit some part, some part down the line here. He's a guy that it'll be interesting to see what Oregon does because he, he kind of is in the same class as Devin McGee. They're similar in size, probably a little similar in style of play. Would they take both of them? But he was, to me, was, along with Elijah Badger, and we'll get that in a moment here, was, to me, kind of the talk of the camp in terms of, wow, this kid came out, performed really, really well, and earned himself an opportunity here. And he came in with just offers from, I think, Nevada and William and Mary, and he walks away with an offer from the in-state school and was, again, probably one of the top three or four most impressive players at the camp. Yeah, I think... um when we when we finished the camp and we were talking with Steve Wiltfong about this and Kevin Wade was with us and uh, we were like we all liked Demir Collins. I mean he he was very very good. But I think the question we were wondering was a is is he Oregon caliber? Yeah. B okay he's Oregon caliber, but but are they going to go after him because they have Seven McGee already? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it's like hey look. We, Maybe you take the approach of, you know, seven McGee's committed, but things could always change down the line. So we're going to continue to recruit guys, especially since they're 2021 prospects and not having to, you know, sign for over a year and a half still of, you know, maybe any kind of commitments, just basically them publicly saying we're the leader. So we'll continue to recruit hard other running backs. Maybe that's the approach that they're taking. I I don't know. Um, But we were wondering just kind of like, is he, is he, that good where Oregon will seriously get involved. And then less than a couple of hours after the camp was over, he got his offer uh, from the Ducks. And now, and I think shortly after, I think yesterday, he tweeted out that Oregon State offered him a scholarship. Um, and so, you know, now that he's got a Nevada offer, he's got an Oregon offer and an Oregon State offer, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Demir Collins uh, lands maybe one or two more Pac-12 offers uh, at, at before his senior season starts just because – once a school like Oregon offers, everybody yep. else is going to go, all right, Oregon's offered. If we want to have any chance at this, we're going to have to throw our hat into the ring. Yeah, I, I spoke a little bit with Demir after the camp, and I was kind of asking what, what he had planned on the schedule, and he says he's going to go to a handful more camps before they start practicing up at Jefferson. And I'll be curious to see. I bet you if he goes to some of these some of these camps, some of these schools might be like, we just got to offer this kid the moment yeah. he steps on campus because we haven't seen him. Uh, maybe play much, but we know that Oregon, Oregon State, two local schools have already, you know, extended offers. I think he's somebody that will be, again, down the line here. And, and you're looking again, 2021. So this isn't somebody that's going to sign and join Oregon's team immediately. And he might not, he probably he might not even end up at Oregon, but right. somebody certainly to keep an eye on down the line. And, and was to me one of the standouts from, from the event, which was fun to see from a local guy. Because again, you look at it, most of the guys Oregon's recruited the last couple of cycles have been out-of-state players. Oregon hasn't had a ton of success, in large part because the talent pool hasn't been uh, what it probably has been in past years in-state. So uh, to see a kid like this clearly stand out, another kid like Keith Brown, who we should also mention was pretty impressive at linebacker, both in 2021. State of Oregon looks pretty decent for that class with just those two guys. And there were a handful of other Carson players. Carson Coda? Yeah, I was going to say Carson Coda. And there's a couple other kids that also played pretty well. I think Jefferson High School had five total players at the event. So um, the state stronger maybe in 2021 than it has been in a while. Maybe that was a big takeaway from the camp, too. Uh, let's go into Jay Butterfield now. Four-star quarterback committed to Oregon. Uh, a guy that, you know, once DJU gave his verbal commitment to Clemson during the spring, he was basically uh, less than a week later 
he committed to Oregon. I mean, he was basically waiting for DJ to, to decide if he was going to go to Oregon or not. And then he flew in and, and swooped in and took the spot, uh, for, from, for Oregon's scholar, you know, quarterback scholarships position here. Um, I thought he kind of got penalized in my mind because we have such a high opinion of him. Um, and so we always kind of expect to play, have him play really well. Um, so that's why he didn't he didn't get the alpha dog from from uh, us when we were making our, our predictions. Um, but I think his he was very impressive. You could you could totally tell he was an elite prospect. Uh, the ball zipped out of his hand very fast, very accurate. Um, I mean, he was throwing pinpoint accuracy when it was you know skeleton or or when it was you know offense on air, no defense out there, which you would you would hope for. Um, but you don't always necessarily see that because guys, you know, they've never worked out together really on a consistent basis or, or they maybe met each other just hours earlier during the day. So there's no chemistry and, uh, and that stuff matters. And, um, he, he was very, very impressive in my mind. It, I hadn't, that was my first time seeing him throw. I, I think you and Kevin both saw him, saw him down at the Oakland, re, uh, the, the Oakland, uh, opening regional, right? Yeah. I, I was the first time I'd seen him. I, I thought he was really impressive and, uh, I think because of the way Tyler Shuck performed, and we're jumping ahead a little bit here, let's assume that Jay Butterfield will be signing with Oregon and joining the team in 2020. But the way that Tyler Shuck performed this spring, I was kind of feeling like it's going to be hard for anybody to beat him out. And I don't know if that necessarily changes, but seeing Butterfield in person, that's going to be a, a quarterback position battle for sure, along with Kale Mellon. There's some guys now at Oregon, and Butterfield has an incredible arm. You know, I, I think that stood out just watching him slinging around. And, and we mentioned quarterback that he didn't have somebody really comparable. He was, you know, out there, you know, I wouldn't say throwing against, but he, there was nobody else other on his level, I don't think. So maybe, right. so maybe he stood out a little bit in that regard, but he was so far better than every other quarterback camper that it, it was kind of, you know, it wasn't even close really. And I, I came away again thinking that you know, we're projecting a little bit. He's still clearly pretty thin. He needs to put on some weight. But just from a pure arm talent perspective, he's going to be capable of being somebody from the beginning of his college career at Oregon. And he's going to have an opportunity with Justin Herbert graduating this year to possibly jump in and make a push at that job with Tyler Shuck and Kale Millen. And, again, I, I agree with you. I thought he was certainly one of the most impressive players and, and at a position, obviously, of need every cycle. Oregon has to feel really, really good about how they have who they have at quarterback in 2020. We mentioned the DJU thing. This is a heck of a backup plan if you want to classify it as that. I mean, this is a high, high caliber quarterback prospect that could be a very, very good player at Oregon sooner than later. Yeah, it, I have a really hard time. I mean, I, I know you weren't trying to instigate it, but I have a hard time calling Butterfield a backup plan because, right. like, like you said, he is so good. Um, you know, Oregon was just very fortunate that, you know, they're – Two most important prospects at the quarterback position were both on the West Coast. We're both very, very high on Oregon. And quite honestly, you know, DJ is, is so good. I don't want to, you know, consistently compare these two, but, you know, Butterfield's a guy that I had Biggins one time. I was talking with him and uh, he, I don't want to speak to him for him too much, but he, he told me, he's like, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if Butterfield showed up and won the job as a true freshman at, at Oregon. I mean, he's that good. Uh, of a player. Um, and so he showed that when Oregon was at camp or for Saturday Night Live. And you know, I just think Oregon's getting a guy that's, that's very, very talented and they should feel very, very confident with what they have at the quarterback position. 
Um, now the guys throwing to him, that was another, uh, the guys that he was throwing to, yeah. that was a, that was another very impressive group of, of receivers. Yeah, I'll be honest, I didn't get to watch quite as much as you did probably because I was focusing primarily on the defensive guys, but the, the, certainly in terms of the star caliber that was there, and maybe you can speak more to what you saw, but, uh, it was, it was an impressive accumulation of talent certainly and players from coast to coast here, right? Yeah, I mean, they had, um, Johnny Wilson, who's, the biggest name, four-star prospect from the 2020 class, a guy that Oregon was, you know, a crystal ball leader. I think it's 100%. Uh, he was paired up almost the entire time uh, when routes were being run with quarterbacks uh, with, with Jay Butterfield. So that was important for Oregon. He looked he looked the part, very tall, very athletic. Um, not necessarily like he's six six, but he's not. You know, someone that's six six two thirty, but you could easily tell down the down the road uh, he could get to that point where you know he's a really big receiver. Oregon's four star commit Chris Hudson was there, and he's very very athletic, very very jitterbuggish. You know, in the slot, spent a lot of time doing real damage in that in the slot position for Oregon, and I feel like you 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 feel pretty good there. Um, Troy Franklin, the number one receiver in the twenty twenty one class, a five star prospect. Uh, he was there as well, and he looked the part. He looked a lot like Johnny Wilson, in my opinion, just a little bit skinnier, uh, hmm. not skinnier, a little bit smaller uh, than Wilson. Um, and then there was also Deontay Thornton, uh, a Penn State commit. He's from uh, Maryland, St. Joseph uh, High School. Um, Oregon, Oregon's got. They had a lot of talent at that position, um, and I, I feel like they positioned themselves. Uh, the they're in a really good spot with Johnny Wilson, but then, you know, getting these guys out there, uh, you know, Hudson's already committed, but, you know, getting an opportunity to work on Franklin to, you know, see if they can, they made some big improvements with Thornton. Um, you know, there were a couple other receivers that were there as well that, you know, that, that had some good moments. And, you know, I, I like where they're at in terms of top tier talent for that wide receiver position group. I guess it comes down to now who can they actually go out and grab because they do need to add I don't know, two or three more players probably in this class at wide receiver, would you say? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they need, I mean, Wilson's a must get. They have to right. get him. Yeah. Um, and then, ironically enough, and maybe we, you know, he's farther down on the, on the show prep here, but let's talk about this for a second. Uh, Elijah Badger, a four star receiver. Yeah. Um, or we, he was our alpha dog, but it wasn't because of what he did at receiver. I mean, he started the camp as a receiver and in the middle of the camp, Oregon's coaches moved him to defensive back and put him at cornerback. And while he was raw at the position, um, he certainly looked the part. I mean, he he battled. He had an interception in a one-on-one against uh, Johnny Wilson. Um, and it now creates an interesting dynamic of maybe Badger's versatility makes him even more important because they know he can play receiver. And, I mean, it's not football with pads, but – in a seven-on-seven setting, he looked the part of being a, a very good cornerback too. I think this kind of uh, an opportunity like this shows what an elite athlete somebody can be. If you can go from being an elite caliber, is it what a top 250 weighted wide receiver, yeah. to then going over and defending guys that are rated that highly, if not more highly regarded, and shutting them down. I mean, he had a really good day against, and it wasn't like they put him up against some of the lesser caliber guys. Um, they matched him up against Franklin. Wilson yep. and Thornton. I mean, those yep. were the guys he was guarding. And he and he more than held his own. And uh, again, I think you have to be if you're Oregon going like, 
he just boosted his stock because he proved he can play a couple of different spots. And it'll be interesting to see how he, how does he feel about this? You know, is he feel like maybe, maybe I just proved that this is the spot I should be playing at the next level. I, I don't know. It, it is an interesting dynamic, but certainly watching him out there, he proved his athletic tools and his skill set because you don't see a guy switch sides of the ball that easily and have that much success if they're not that kind of player, if they're not that type of athlete. You have to have certain, uh, you know, innate skill set in terms of your athleticism, in terms of your ability to read the ball in the air, especially at defensive back. So, yeah, he proved his worth. And, and, and the fact that a guy who the, the guy was maybe the most notable player at the camp was playing out of position. He certainly is somebody that Oregon, I'm, I'm sure, is feeling like, we got to go get this guy. Yeah, he, I, I think his stock went up significantly. Um, and I'll be curious to see. I mean, we're not going to do a ratings bump um, for a while, I, I don't believe, uh, within 24-7 sports. But we just did Wilf, one. But Yeah, because we just did one. Um, but with Wilt Fong being there, and you know, he was very high on Elijah Badger, and seeing what he did against the talent that he faced – you know, it wouldn't surprise me, um, and this is just me kind of speculating and, and whatnot. It wouldn't right. surprise me if, if Badger sees a, an increase in his ranking just because he played a new position, did well. He's, he, he can play, you know, multiple positions now, uh, and he went up against, uh, some elite receivers and did it in front of one of our guys that's in the room that decides on rankings. So he, he could be a guy that, that moves up in those rankings. Uh, let's move to O-line, D-line. Um, I mentioned earlier, Eric, the D-line wasn't necessarily a, a strong point. It was probably the weakest one of the group. Um, but I think part of that also had to do with the fact that there were a ton of really good offensive linemen. No kidding. Yeah, no, no, there were. And, and the defensive line group was also small in stature. I think there's like seven guys there. And, and honestly, uh, we should mention, uh, or I think Oregon extended two offers after the camp. One of them was to a defensive lineman, but it was like an intrigue kind of upside offer to Jaden Wayne, uh, a defensive end from the Seattle area, but he's 2023. 20, and that's not a, you know, he didn't necessarily perform particularly well. It was just like, Holy crap, this kid's 6'5", 220, has incredible movement skills, and he's like not even 15, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer kind of thing seeing him in person probably. It was the first offer. It'll be interesting to see how that progresses. But yeah, just top to bottom, that offensive line group, like, I, I was watching them. It was funny, because the way the camp goes, not a lot of people are, are as excited to watch the offense and defensive line go one-on-one as they are to watch the wide receivers and defensive backs. And I was probably over by myself for about 15 minutes watching it. And I would say maybe the defensive line won three out of about 25 reps. I mean, it was it was just incredible how dominant that offensive line group was, you know, a top to bottom from guys like Bryce Foster, who I thought performed really, really well. Uh, Kingsley, and I'm going to butcher his last name, Suma Taea. Yeah. Uh, another kid, he's out of Utah. He played really, really well. Jackson Light had some good moments. Um, I'm going to forget some names here. I think uh, a, a name that I'm going to also pronouncing is uh, Panama Paliona. Another interior guy, he's a little bit smaller in stature, but he performed really well. And probably forgetting some names because there were 374s with the offensive line group and it was hard to figure <laughs> out who exactly was who, but the, whoever was, whoever was wearing 74 was basically one, batting 100% in terms of winning those reps. And yeah, it, it was uh, very noticeable that the offensive line group, and it probably shouldn't shock you considering who Oregon's head football coach is, but that, that was to me the strength of the camp. I thought the offensive line, in terms of the depth, they probably brought, I'd have to count it up off the top of my head here, it looks like close to 20 players were here from that group, and most of them are guys that I'm sure 
uh, are going to be four four star recruits or better, kind of in that group. It's just a really loaded group. And we should mention the one defensive lineman who did perform pretty well was a junior college player. And I have a story up on the site. It was Junior Ajo, originally from France. He's now playing at the New Mexico uh, Military Institute, uh, and I think he's a freshman right now. A raw player. 6'3", 255 pounds, just kind of learning football right now. So he's somebody to keep an eye on. Oregon did not offer him, but that was probably the only defensive line prospect that I watched that I came away particularly impressive. And I don't want to belittle other players that were there, but he was the only one that you kind of came away from being like, okay, he did some really nice things today. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Ajo because he looked really, really good, and he did well against the talented offensive line. Um, he is junior college pros. He is a junior college prospect, and you know, he is someone uh, that's a little bit raw. But totally. you could totally see the ceiling and the potential there. Uh, and, and so, there's Oregon. You know, do they have room to take a? a I don't want to use a, the word project, but do they have room to you know, to add that guy into a, a, a group of of defensive linemen for the next year or two? It's going to be pretty loaded. Yeah, that's the that's the quandary with a guy like Aho is he's six three two fifty five, but you, you look at photos of him, he has like a six pack. He's totally cut up. Again, super raw. He was a boxer and a mixed martial artist over in France before uh, kind of picking up the football edge uh, a couple of years ago, and now he's trying to make a go at it. And and I think somebody who will have some interest certainly already has offers from Minnesota, and he's only arrived in the United States I think back in January. So. He's somebody that, I agree, really intriguing prospect. Athletically, he came across as, as probably being the most impressive defensive lineman there. and uh, It'll be really interesting to see what takes place in his recruitment. All right, we're going to take a quick break for some of our sponsors to get some words in, and then uh, we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back uh, to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. As always, Eric Scopel is here with me. Uh, breaking down Oregon football Saturday Night Live. Um, a lot to get to. We went through some, some takeaways. We went through Jay Butterfield. Uh, we gave some thoughts on uh, offensive line, defensive line. Um, do, do we? Do you have anything else you need to go into with Demir Collins? Because we kind of talked about him at the, t- at the top as a surprise, but – uh, three-star running back from the state of Oregon, Jefferson High School, 2021 prospect. I believe, Eric, he's the third player in the state of Oregon for 2021 that now has a scholarship offer. Let me look that up real quick just to make sure that I'm right. Well, but, uh, Keith Brown, and who's the other one? I don't know this. Carson Coda. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, if that, that offer still stands because that it was made with the previous staff. And yeah, that would be three. And, and we should mention all three players were there and I thought performed pretty well. Uh, I don't have a whole lot more to say on Collins. I think we covered it pretty well. I, I think he's someone super intriguing and, and I agree. I think the dilemma probably for Oregon is, is he so similar to Seven McGee that it's almost a redundant addition? Or do we think both are so darn good and can be playmakers that it's worth our while to bring in both of them? Because I came away thinking that, again, I said it a little earlier, he might be maybe the best in-state running back in the state since Thomas Tyner, and that's now approaching on, what, seven, seven or so years since he signed. Um, certainly someone to keep an eye on. And, and if you are in the Portland area and really into recruiting, probably worth going and checking out a couple of Jefferson games. I'm sure that one of us or both of us will probably do that this fall as well. Yeah, he's he's going to be coached by Don Johnson, um, a coach that turned the Madison program around a few years ago. Uh, into a playoff team. They were a perennial, just bad football program. Uh, and then Johnson came in and, and kind of turned things around, got MJ Cunningham a scholarship into Oregon, sent a couple other guys to some D1 schools, and took a couple years off from coaching. Now he's back into it at Jefferson, and it looks like, you know, lo and behold, Jefferson's got some dudes now, and he's he's been training them up and getting them ready to go. So uh, certainly a guy to watch. We'll be watching him in the next couple of, of weeks. Um Elijah Badger being the alpha, um, I, I think that one, Eric, was a combination of two things. Um, he was really, really good at what he did. Uh, and then more importantly, it was it was unexpected at the position that he was dominating at and playing well at, which was cornerback, because we all came into, into the event thinking, this is a four-star receiver. This is a guy that's competing against Johnny Wilson and a couple other guys in, in the 2020 class for a spot. Uh, in this recruiting class, and yet here we are. He's now kind of made himself even more valuable because he can play multiple positions. Well, and, and it will be interesting to see with Oregon and its defensive back class because right now I think three of the top four commitments in Oregon's 2020 class are defensive backs. Um, and, and it'll be interesting to see what the need remains and if Badger is somebody they take kind of as an athlete and, and they figure, hey, if we keep all these great defensive back recruits, because we should mention they're from Florida, Maryland, and Oklahoma, and recruiting that distance can be difficult to hold off those local schools. And if they lose a guy here or there, maybe Badger makes a ton of sense for that. Or, or, or do you just hold on to him and say, we'll just figure it, well, it'll be a plug-and-play situation. We now know you have the versatility to play wide receiver and defensive back, two positions we are going to take some players in this class. And just kind of move from there. I, I think he, again, he was the alpha dog, and he was a big winner in terms of I think he probably solidified himself as somebody Oregon really feels like now is a must-take. All right, now let's move into kind of the, the recruiting vibe or the intel that we've been able to get. Um, we spoke to a lot of guys uh, over the weekend of, of kind of their thoughts, and I think the the biggest takeaway, Eric, from from me as speaking with guys, is that once again Oregon's coaching staff has sold a lot of players on the family first atmosphere at Oregon. Because every every player I talked to, and I think maybe you can speak for the guys that you did. Yeah. Um, every one of them mentioned about how welcoming the staff was for their for themselves and also for the the, the prospects' parents or or whoever brought them out to Oregon for Saturday Night Live. Uh, and, and then the staff was just a really, really done t- good time, a uh, good job of, of creating that family vibe. Yeah, and not only that, I, I got a lot of, I learned a lot, you know, because we, we, we haven't probably mentioned it, but 
the, the coach is part of the benefit of this camp is the coach is actually going to work with these top prospects and run them through drills. And, and, and I had a number of players that I spoke with, uh, Demir Collins, uh, Junior Aho, and then Jaden Wayne. And the stories are up on the site. All of them basically said, I learned a lot from this camp and, and kind of came away taking things away from it that I can hopefully use now in my high school or junior college seasons. Um, and, and I think that also goes away of it's not just a camp that's there for the hype. It's a camp that provides some learning for these guys. And to me, that would be something that probably benefits the staff in terms of setting up invites next year where you can point to and say, hey, it's not only a really fun event, gets you some exposure, but you're going to learn some stuff because you're going to be working under some of the best position coaches in the country. And to me, that was another thing that stood out. Um, we spoke with Eric Williams, or Caleb Williams, excuse me. Uh, Eric Williams is on the basketball team. Uh, yes. Caleb Williams, uh, the five-star quarterback, he from from Washington, D.C., he did not participate during the full portion of the Saturday Night Live camp. He did some other workouts earlier in the day with, with Oregon's coaching staff because um, he had to get, catch a flight out, but he was still able to get a workout in um, for the camp. And then um, he mentioned a lot about how Oregon made up a bunch of ground past some schools and is now in the thick of it for him. Um, and, and, look, this is why – Getting these guys out to campus is so important because you get a, a, a prospect like Caleb Williams who's from D.C. and he likes Oregon. He's interested in Oregon, but he doesn't see the ins and outs, the nuts and bolts of the program, of the, of the coaching staff, the depth chart and all that, and the culture vibe, the player vibe. And he gets some time to interact with them and opens up his eyes even more to the Ducks. Absolutely. And I would say it was probably one of the bummers of the camp was that he didn't actually take part in it because I was really excited to see him and Butterfield both kind of throw back to back. Um, but he, I think, left probably 15 minutes into the camp, had to catch a flight. But, yeah, you're absolutely right in terms of uh, just providing guys a glimpse of what Oregon can be. And, and today, a day like Saturday Night Live is close to about as good as a day for Oregon in terms of selling the program. You can get to check out the stadium. You get to see the fans come out and support it. Uh, it was a beautiful day. Again, the coaching staff, you know, is always going to be fired up, but it, it is one of the best marketing opportunities. And, and again, to have players from across the country, we talked about at the top of the show, choose to fly out on their own dime and check out Oregon says a lot, not just about what's being built here, but about Oregon's opportunity now to, to potentially continue building with these prospects because it's one thing to get these guys on campus. It's another thing to get here. They come away impressed. Like you said, Williams is somebody who comes away going like, I'm going to have to give them a little bit, you know, bigger of a look. And that doesn't happen without an event like this. Right. Um, Oregon did land a verbal commitment this weekend. What's more, are, are you more surprised at how just talented the roster was or that the fact that there wasn't a verbal commitment given from someone at Saturday Night Live? I'd probably say the latter. I, I, it just seems like over the last couple of years under Tager and then under Cristobal, you have this, you know, you had the spring game and the Saturday Night Live were these two big recruiting events over the course of the year on a calendar. And they almost always landed at least two or three to four guys. I think, you know, sometimes closer to six. I, I was surprised that no one pulled the trigger. And of course, we're still only about 48 hours removed from the camp's conclusion. There's time for players to, you know, to make a commitment or, or to do something, but, uh, I, I am probably just a little bit surprised that, that no one pulled the trigger. And again, I don't think that speaks to the camp being, you know, not a success, but just usually you're used to something like that coming from it. And, and 
Again, Oregon did pick up a commitment, but it wasn't from somebody at the camp. I'd say that was more surprising than just how good everybody there was. Now, I will say this about that, and this is why I didn't do a, you know, five most likely to commit at Saturday Night Live story. Guys that commit, but there's not a lot of out of the guys that were at this camp, and this speaks to just how talented it was. Can we can we do an uh, can we do an on podcast breaking news? Johnny Wilson literally just announced he committed to Oregon. <laughs> oh, as we're talking about how there were no commitments, <laughs> it literally just happened. It popped up at a yeah, like right as we we're doing that. So uh, we should probably maybe talk about that commitment as well, since that happened yes, live. We should, we should do that. And and my whole point was, and, and this is why I'm surprised. I I had a crystal ball for Johnny Wilson. I had him pegged to go to Oregon, but I figured Johnny Wilson was going to wait. He was going to take a couple of official visits. He was going to go to a couple places and then commit to Oregon. I just didn't think <laughs> you, you don't see five stars. You don't see four stars, top one, you know, top 100 caliber guys, you know, on a, on a regular basis, just say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to one school. I'm going to commit before my senior season. I'm not going to visit these other places. I'm done. You just don't see that very often. And so I wasn't expecting Wilson to commit this week. Um, but here we are. He's, yeah, but here we are. He's he's pulled the trigger to Oregon, and that's a humongous get. Oh, the Ducks. It's a massive get, and we'll have a lot more. Well, I guess you'll probably read the articles before you listen to the podcast, but there will be stuff on the site to check out if you're if you're listening to this podcast first for some reason. But absolutely, I mean, like we talked about earlier, Oregon still needs wide receivers in this class. They've got some pretty good prospects. Chris Hudson's obviously committed. Uh, this is, this is big. I mean, this is, this is a guy you can build your offense around potentially going down the line. And you watched him over the weekend. Like, he runs great routes. He's humongous. He's very physical. Uh, he's gonna be a matchup nightmare. And it'd be really interesting to see how Oregon uses a guy like him. They haven't had, I mean, I'll be curious to see what his height is. He was like three or four inches taller than everybody. I know they list him at six, six, but like, he could be he six. He looks taller than that. He, he looks six, seven, maybe six, eight. It'd be, it'd be really interesting to see how Oregon utilizes a player of his stature, uh, down the line because it's somebody that really like, Oregon hasn't had players like this. They obviously have Juwan Johnson on this year's team. We'll see how that plays out. Brian Addison, another taller guy, but like, historically Oregon's success at receiver has been by guys in the, you know, the five eleven to six foot two range, not guys that are, you know, pushing six, seven, six, eight. So, Again, reacting to this on the fly, but this is this is a massive commitment for Oregon and and one that continues some momentum here. Like we said earlier, I'm surprised there were no commitments after this camp. There will be yeah, commitments after this camp, and it was a very very big one. Probably, honestly, the biggest one possible from the camp, at least in the 2020 class. Yeah, this is. Um, I'm still trying to process this in my own mind because Eric, this doesn't happen very often when we're recording, and. Oh. <laughs> This happens, uh, um, but yeah, you're you're right. I'm I'm try- trying to type something out really quickly. Let's um, try to write a story, probably while we're podcasting. <laughs> it makes me feel lazy for not writing a story while we're podcasting. Uh, let me just look at it really quickly. Um, I want to look at his nine seven eight five. So he's ranked. His ranking score is nine seven eight five, and my my what I'm looking at is. He might be the highest rated receiver to ever commit to Oregon. And if that, he, he might be one of a top 10 all time commit or a top 15 all time commit for, for Oregon. Um, I'm looking it up right now. 9785 is his score. Uh, the leader is Kayvon Thibodeau, who's 9987. Uh, what did I say it was? 9785. So just a quick look, um, of the list here. 
Yeah, he checks in at nine overall in program history uh, to commit, and he's actually not the highest rated receiver to all to commit to Oregon. Is that Cam Colvin? Yes, he's Cam Colvin. But you know, the next closest guy is uh, Devon Blackman, but he was rated as a receiver, so we won't count him. All right, he was rated as an athlete, not a receiver. Um, the next just pure receiver that committed to Oregon is Braylon Addison, uh, 27th, so now 28th all time. So, um, Johnny Wilson is now the ninth highest rated player in program history to commit to Oregon, the wow. second highest receiver to commit to Oregon in program history and at wow. least in the recruiting industry. And, yeah, the, the, the difference between Colvin and Johnny Wilson and the next closest pure receiver that committed Braylon Addison, uh, that's a, that's like what, 19 or 18 spots? Yeah, that, that just further communicates the, the kind of the impact of this and, and historically how much I, I, I would not have guessed he'd be top 10. Obviously these rankings can move up and down. It's possible that he's higher on this list and a little lower yes. when he signs, but either way, uh, this is monumental for Oregon. And, and again, you know, the, the narrative right now is that the, Pac-12 is having a really hard time keeping West Coast players, especially the elite ones. And you look out there at the California ratings, a lot of the guys are looking at SEC, Big Ten, uh, ACC schools. For Oregon to keep a kid who obviously everyone in the country would have taken and really wanted speaks volumes to what this program is building again. And, and again, they now you now have, once again, one of those big-time elite prospects to kind of build this, this, this class around. Last year was Kayvon Thibodeau and a couple other guys. You've got Pittman and Avante Williams in this class along with Jay Butterfield. I, I know there's been some talk about the 2020 class being maybe a little bit down from 2019. I, I probably would agree in terms of they'll probably finish a little bit lower, but you start adding players like this to the mix, and again, it can be an absolute domino effect, especially out west where there's a lot of top-tier guys who are uh, uncommitted and still looking around. Yeah, this is I – mean, we, we've, we've said it enough, um, and I don't want to make it sound like it's – you know, the greatest commitment of all time, but it's just huge. This is a, you know, this is going to be something that might, I mean, I don't know what the, cal- the class calculator is going to do. I guess I could run that really quickly, but my initial thought is, is this might put Oregon, um, into, uh, the, the top, top 10 in the country. Um, they're just outside of it. So 235.53 is their, um, score right now is 17 verbal commitments. Johnny Wilson's the highest rated guy. Um, so, Two, three, five puts them twelfth uh, overall, uh, and they are less than two points behind Oklahoma at eleven, and they are about eight points behind Florida at number ten. So the the discussion right now is has been and will continue to be. Oregon is first in the Pac-12 by a long shot, or and you know there's the Huskies are nineteenth, um, Oregon is twelfth. Uh, that, that's a decent amount of difference there. Oregon has 235 points. The Huskies have 213, and it's not like Oregon has just this monumental more amount of commitments. Um, Oregon has 17. Washington has 15. Uh, and Oregon stretches their Pac-12 lead, and they're they're pushing once more for a top 10 recruiting class in the country. Um, should we? 
talk about the other commitment. Like, <laughs> oh, I think we're just about to lead into talking about Jonathan Dennis, and then Johnny Wilson stole his thunder on the Duck Territory or on the Ots and Audible podcast. So you shame. made the mistake. I, 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 I and actually, I'm amazed I made the mistake because I keep listening closely when you do your intro. And I'm like, he's gonna screw this up one of these times because it's got to be ingrained in his memory. And of course, I'm the one who makes the mistake. <laughs> Thirty five minutes into a podcast, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, he's. Uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Dennis, Dennis. You're, I'm sorry that your 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 your, uh, your moment was stolen a little bit by Johnny Wilson. Two Johnnies really stealing each other's thunder here on the <laughs> podcast. Um, I, I like that commitment when it happened. I watched his his uh, highlight tape uh, in the lead up because we we had uh, I guess an inkling that it might happen on Saturday. And you go watch his tape. You can check it on the site. He's somebody that it's just basically five minutes of him pancaking guys. I mean, he's a big, strong, athletic guy. Great leg drive. Uh, moves guys really well, and most of the time he ends up with the guy, his opponent on his back. He's a little undersized at 275, close to 280. It'll be interesting to see how that works out, given that Oregon looks like they're trying to build a line that you'd be more likely to play at 380 than 280. But uh, I, I like the addition. Again, getting kids from Florida and holding on to them can be tough, especially a guy who has offers from a lot of these big schools. Um, but certainly somebody that fits the mold of what Oregon is doing in terms of getting those offensive linemen that have a little bit of a mean streak, that play physical and have some athleticism. Uh, it looks like a guy who's probably going to be uh, – I, I, he has to be a guard. I don't think he can play tackle at, at 6'3", 280. But certainly somebody that has an opportunity down the line here now with both guard positions opening up in 2020. He'll have a chance, maybe, if he sticks around and signs with Oregon to compete at least for a backup spot early on in his career because Oregon is going to lose a lot of their top guys – issue to graduation. So I, I like it. I think anytime you can add that kind of athlete to a position group where clearly you need bodies, that's a victory. Yeah, and, and the way I look at this is um, Oregon goes into a state where they've got ties, okay? Mario Cristobal is from Miami. He basically grew up there. Um, Alex Mirabel, Oregon's offensive line coach, He's also got extremely you know, deep ties into that state. So they have coaches that have a track record and cachet in that state to go in there and recruit. But historically, the Ducks haven't had a lot of guys come from Florida. You know, they have, they, I think, like, what was it, a year ago or maybe two years ago, they had, like, eight or nine guys um, from Florida, and that was, you know, in large part because of um, some guys that Oregon took some straight-up flyers on. Um, when Taggart was signing his first class and needed to fill, you know, some bodies and ultimately most of those guys transferred out when he left because quite frankly, no offense to them, they weren't good enough to play right. here. Um, and so they've never really had a strong contingent of Florida guys. But that being said, I think the pipeline, and I wrote about this on the site, is getting stronger for Oregon because Cristobal has the cachet nationally and in that state. Maribel has the cachet in that state. They're a program that's winning. A lot of Florida guys say they just simply just could never really get Oregon to show a lot of love to them. Right. Uh, and now, and now they are. Um, and, and yeah, it's going to be hard to hold a commitment like an Avante Williams and, and maybe Jonathan, uh, Dennis is going to be similar ways. We don't know. Um, but the more and more big time Florida players that they go out and, and get and have guys perform well, then you're going to get the elite guys that are that are you know the five star caliber guys. It's it's a multi year process, and I really like what they're doing um, in, in that state because I kind of compare it to you know what Oregon has done in Southern California, where 
Yeah, they took a couple chances on some lower-rated three-star guys out of some of these powerhouses in SoCal, Matterday, Bosco, mm-hmm. yep. uh, Narborn, and you know a couple other schools. And then those guys showed up. They played well. They, they talked to their friends. The next thing you know now, flash forward two years, three years, Oregon is pulling in the best players from Southern California on a regular basis. It just happened with Johnny Wilson. Um, and so it's going to take a little bit more time to do that in Florida. But I think that's a similar strategy that they're deploying uh, in the Sunshine State. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, and again, it's hard to hold those commitments. But if you can create a, an environment, and we did see this a little bit going back a couple of years with, I remember Armwood High School, they, they took a couple of lesser rated guys. And then in the next class, Warren Thompson and, and Malcolm Lamar had been you know, were verbal commitments to Oregon and then flipped over to Florida State when Willie Taggart left. But you sort of see that develop where if you can sort of prove to some of these guys, and we don't want to say Dennis is a lower rated guy. He's a four-star recruit, 350th best player uh, in the country, according to the uh, 24-7 composite. Uh but, you know, a guy like him, maybe maybe there's some players in that same region that are able to follow him and his success at Oregon. And if he ends up being a really good player, Jordan Scott's a guy who kind of potentially paved the way there with yeah. a, as a lower-rated guy. And it looked like that was going to pay off with some players last year, but Oregon wasn't able to fully uh, land a couple of They got of Eford. They got Brandon Douglas. Yeah, that's yeah, true. And those are, so, yeah, you're, you're seeing that Florida kind of connection develop. And so, yeah, now you've got a, a group of players from Florida out here, and if – these guys can perform at a high level. That really helps, especially with kids from those same high schools or those same regions. Talking about no commitments uh, for Saturday Night Live, um, which was awesome. And <laughs> I, overall, I think this was a good show. Um, thank you for the listeners for, for listening to us. Uh, make sure to give us a review on Apple, iTunes, uh, or whoever podcast service you use to listen to us. Uh, and most importantly, make sure to go to duckterritory.com. If you are not a subscriber, uh, and give us a try. One dollar for your first 30 days, or you can save a huge chunk of change, uh, by signing up for a month to month, or an annual subscription instead of month to month and pay six dollars and 26 cents per month of that annual subscription. So, uh, Eric, good podcast as always. Uh, you're listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prame for Eric Scopel. Thanks for listening. Adios, amigos. That was wild. Yes, it was. (laughs) That went for...